Today in the conservatory, Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago is raided by the FBI. The IRS gears up for war. A couple was arrested for creating child porn with their adopted children. And we examine what the Bible teaches us about men and their wives. We have all that and more today on the conservatory. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I want to take a moment at the beginning here to thank everyone that listens to the show. I know we're pretty small right now, but it is my hope that as I produce more and more episodes and the quality of the episodes improves, that we will grow and grow and grow. Uh, And that starts with all you listening and investing your time early on so we can get some exposure uh, on other listeners' recommended podcasts. So thank you to everyone listening to these episodes. All right, let's get into today's show. All righty. So because I was not able to record a full-length episode on Monday, uh, today we'll go over some stuff that happened over the weekend as well as some things that went down the last couple days. So we'll begin with the biggest and most pressing news this week, that of course being the home of former President Donald Trump was raided by the FBI on Monday, August 8th. Politico reports, quote, The FBI executed a search warrant at the Mar-a-Lago estate of former President Donald Trump on Monday as part of an investigation into the alleged mishandling of White House records, including potentially classified material, according to two people familiar with the matter. The Florida raid, which is one which one of the people said took hours, resulted in the seizure of paper records, according to one person familiar with the development, who also noted that Trump attorney Christina Bob was present during the search. It was a historic step by the Justice Department and FBI to investigate the residence of a former president who is battling an increasingly complex thicket of legal threats. No former president, particularly one who is openly considering another bid for the for the Oval Office, has faced such public law enforcement action, which immediately led to calls among his allies for recrimination and even the elimination of federal law enforcement agencies, end quote. So this is kind of wild stuff. A federal law enforcement agency invaded a former president's home under the instruction uh, or, inthor- or authority of the sitting president um, the sitting president's administration, which is of the opposing political ideology. The FBI claims that the purpose of the raid was to search the home for classified material Trump would have brought with him from the White House during or immediately following his time as president. Uh, However, all sitting presidents have the ability to declassify any classified document at their own discretion, not to mention Hillary Clinton during her time as Secretary of State was caught with 30,000 classified emails on a server in her home and was never once investigated. And in fact, uh, the FBI head at the time essentially rewrote the definition of of the the crime so that she he couldn't prosecute her or wouldn't. So then what's the real reason here? There has to be a secondary motive. Because clearly if the deep state doesn't want a major political figure investigated for this type of thing, they won't be. And those in opposition of their political beliefs will be unduly targeted by the law. Of course, the obvious answer is that the deep state leans pretty hard in favor of the Democrats and as such will protect its own in rot times while targeting those of the opposing view. However, I think this explanation is kind of an oversimplification. Certainly this kind of thing is well documented though. Uh, When we think back a few years ago, of course, we have the example of Hillary Clinton as I already brought up. But beyond this, we have other things like the sitting president being impeached twice. Uh, He was also investigated for colluding to tamper with an election uh, with the Russians. And now he's being investigated for 
trying to delegitimize the election results of 2020 based on the fact that the election proceedings were altered nationwide just weeks before the election. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember there being anyone willing to investigate the Clinton campaign for drumming up doubts about the 2016 election. I don't see anyone seriously considering uh, investigating the 2020 election in the way that the Clinton campaign, in conjunction with Congress, investigated the 2016 election. Beyond this, uh, about Hunter Biden committing, or excuse me, how about Hunter Biden committing a multitude of crimes on video, including weapon and drugs crimes? Yet, not once has any serious attempt been made to check out these offenses, uh, nor his shading, shady dealings with foreign governments. Remember in 2020 when news broke about Hunter's laptop and that it might contain incriminating information on the Biden family, possibly even including, quote, the big guy, Joe Biden? So forgive me for having reservations about the equal application of federal law enforcement when it comes to political ideology. This brings me to the following three conclusions. Either A, the powers that be are investigating a crime that they have evidence occurred and are seeking to build a case against the perpetrator. B, the powers that be are seeking to weaken Trump's campaign momentum and chances in 2024. Or C, the powers that be are intentionally doing this to make Trump voters angry so that they ensure that Trump has the nomination in 2024 because they think they can beat him. Of these three options, I pretty much find myself believing in a, we'll call it a 10-70-20 split, meaning I think there's a 10% chance that Trump's home was raided in good faith by law enforcement, not due to political factors at all, but based purely on investigatory necessity. Uh, and then I think there's a 70% chance that Trump's home was invaded in an attempt to kill his candidacy for 2024, really before it's even started. And finally, a 20% chance that the raid was attempted to rally the Trump base and ensure his election as candidate for the Republican Party because the Democrats think that they can beat him. Now, the 10% comes really as a byproduct of my confidence of the other two options. It doesn't have much, to do, doesn't have much basis in observation, uh, unlike the others. There seems to be not a whole lot of evidence that this is the case, given that we've heard almost nothing about Trump being investigated criminally beyond this incident. Uh, the 70%, on the other hand, would seem to be the most likely option. We know the establishment despises Trump, and we know it's pretty common for political parties to drop bombshell-type findings about an opposing candidate in an attempt to weaken their campaign. Uh, it's really nothing new. Both sides of the political divide do this, and to me it's standard operating procedure for a political campaign. Politics is kind of a nasty game. Despite whether or not there's basis for the investigation, this seems to be the most likely situation. Not to mention, this can even be bumped to probably 80%, given that the reasoning can be combined with the previous scenario, and both can be true. It can be true that the FBI wants to investigate Trump for a legitimate crime that they have evidence he committed, and the Dems can be interested in a campaign assassination attempt. So they, you know, get with the FBI, they push for them to raid the home of the foreign president on a technicality, and the media parrots the talking points provided by the administration, all three working in concert with one another. If this is the reality, and it does work however, the alternative Republican for frontrunner is really strong, Ron DeSantis of Florida. Obviously, he's gunning for the presidency, and he would certainly wipe the floor with Joe Biden if, we were, if he were the nominee. If Democrats decide not to run Biden, uh, who do they have that would be strong enough to go up against DeSantis? Kamala Harris? Pete Buttigieg? They, they, they have no one. And lastly, 
though it's perhaps the most interesting scenario, albeit far less likely, as I mentioned earlier, is the case in which the liberal establishment, the swamp, as Trump referred to them in 2016, pushed for this raid to rally the Republican base and get them angry and riled up so that Donald Trump would again be selected as the Republican nominee. Uh, and all this because Democrats think that they can beat him. And why wouldn't they? They beat him in 2020. Why not again in 2024? And before you start discrediting this theory as saying, oh, that's nuts, that's a right-wing conspiracy, remember, Democrats in midterm elections, uh, by their own admission, funded Republican campaigns of people that they thought they could beat uh, in certain jurisdictions. So, yeah, and believe it or not, they've had some limited success uh, with this strategy. However, this is a risky move that may not pan out the way that they hope. Uh, it's risky for a couple of reasons. Of course, there's the obvious one. Trump could win the general election in 2024 instead of the, the nominee that they select. Given the current state of the economy and the current administration's unwillingness to abandon the policies that got them here, Americans may decide they've had enough and elect Trump despite this. Secondarily, we're still years away from the 2024 election, and I'm not so sure that the Republican base will continue to be especially motivated in the direction of Trump based on this one event, especially as more and more information comes out about the raid and investigation. So let's take a look at the possibilities for Republicans in 2024. Of course we have Trump. If Trump becomes the nominee, we know what to expect. We've seen his policies and rhetoric. We know the media will come after him, and we know that he will get, excuse me, we will know that he will generate Pretty wide support across the country, particularly because he has an opponent with a record to riff on. I think this is why Trump in 2016 was far more interesting and effective than Trump in 2020. In 2016, he was able to make jokes and rail against the Obama administration's shortcomings and the U.S. political establishment as a whole. However, in 2020, Trump had been president for four years, and beyond being able to riff off Joe Biden's personal traits and attributes, he had no concrete policy failures to contradict. Sure, Biden had been on the wrong side of pretty much all foreign policy positions in his stint in Congress and had many a blunder domestically, but I'm not sure that this translated in the same way presidential policy failures translate. So it's my opinion Trump has this going for him come 2024. He'll have a bevy of executive branch failures to speak on on the part of the Democrats, more specifically the current state of the economy and foreign relations. The downsides of a Trump nomination are also pretty obvious. Trump has a unique ability to generate strong emotions, both for and against whatever cause he is on. We can expect a turbulent relationship with the media, as well as many people citing his supposed illegal undertaking surrounding the 2020 election. Additionally, I think it would be very interesting to see Trump select a running mate. Will they have trouble convincing other Republicans to put their name on the ticket and potentially harm their own political career in the process? Or will prospective Republicans be chomping at the bit to have their name next to a figure who is so good at rallying the Republican base? I, I just don't know. Moving on from Trump, though, uh, I don't think there's any argument that Ron DeSantis is another favorite for the nomination. Given his proven track record in Florida, DeSantis appears to be incredibly politically savvy, having the ability to rally the Republican base while also not as violently alienating those in his opposition. Uh, which would then in turn rally their base and get them out to vote for the other guy. DeSantis also has a unique ability to riff on crazy liberal talking points and policy, making him incredibly attractive to the same people who voted for Trump in 2016. 
DeSantis, in my opinion, wouldn't have much trouble finding a running mate either. I think he is liked and respected among Republicans, and people want to work for him or with him. For my part, I would love to see a Ron DeSantis Rand Paul ticket, given DeSantis's attributes we already talked about, and Rand Paul's willingness to return to a balanced budget. Alternatively, I wouldn't mind to see a DeSantis Cruz ticket either. If you couldn't already tell, I'm biased towards Ron DeSantis come 2024. I think he'll do the most to strengthen the Republican Party, as well as have the best chance at winning the presidential election. That being said, I voted for Trump in 2020 and would gladly do it again if he's a nominee in a couple years. I think he did a really good job during his time as president, though he was not without his faults, obviously. Uh, I've mentioned to some friends in the past that I believe the era of two-term presidents may be beginning to be phased out. It seems that the American people are far fickler than they once were, uh, though I'm, I hope I'm wrong on the side of the Republicans. Of course, I would much prefer to see Republicans see two terms than one, but I foresee a lot more single-term presidencies in the coming years, but only time will tell. Okay, so continuing the theme of weaponizing federal agencies, the Democrats' new Inflation Reduction Act, which I have to say is nothing more than a spending bill, thinly veiled as policy to ease a crisis created by the same administration championing the bill, includes a carve-out of $80 million for the IRS over the next several years so they can hire seventy, excuse me, 87,000 new agents. The Hill reports, quote, Senator Lindsey Graham on Tuesday attacked a provision in Democrats' Inflation Reduction Act that would significantly increase the number of agents working for the Internal Revenue Service. Graham said at a press conference with South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster that hiring 87,000 new IRS agents is supposed to be for the rich, but the rich have a bunch of lawyers and accountants, and more than half of IRS audits are conducted on people making less than $75,000 per year. If you think the federal government is out of control now, God help us when you get 87,000 IRS agents who are looking under every rock and stone to get money out of your pocket, he said. Graham said the new hires will expand the IRS by two and a half times. The IRS employed more than 78,000 people during fiscal 2021, and the legislation would complete additional hires over the next 10 years, investing $80 million to increase enforcement. End quote. Graham, of course, is absolutely correct here. The expansion of the federal government has never really helped Americans. And something I've seen from far-left news sites a lot regarding this story is the claim that this bill will improve America's interactions with the IRS by increasing the number of agents, but this is simply not the case. According to CNBC, quote, Part of President Joe Biden's agenda, the Inflation Reduction Act, allocates $79.6 billion to the agency over the next 10 years. More than half of the money is meant for enforcement, with the IRS aiming to collect more from corporate and high-net-worth tax dodgers, end quote. So the bulk of this money is going to the enforcement arm of the IRS, not call centers, not email services, and not a developing a website aimed at solving problems when filing. So don't listen to Democrats when they try to tell you this is nothing to worry about and that expanding the bureaucracy will do nothing but help you. It does the complete opposite. As a bureaucracy or as a company grows larger, the worse their customer service is, the harder it is to get a hold of an actual person who wants to help you. This has never been the case. Uh, that a larger bureaucracy will help you. So what exactly does the enforcement mean? Well, it would seem it means increasing the armaments of the agency's officers, providing more officers, more guns, and more ammunition than has ever been seen in the history of the agency. But don't worry, these new special operator tax collector hybrid agents will only target people making more than $400,000 a year. Not you. Oh, except for every single Democrat voted against an amendment to the bill saying the funding would not be used to target Americans making less than this. 
If that isn't scary enough, wait until I tell you what is mentioned in the IRS's jobs page. From jobs.irs.gov, quote, Major duties. Maintain a level of fitness necessary to effectively respond to life-threatening situations on the job, carry a firearm, and be willing to use deadly force if necessary, and be willing to willing to and able to participate in arrests, execution of search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. All of this required by glorified accountants. Incredible. The bureaucracy continues to grow day by day, bill by bill, and Americans continue to fall for the lie that if they just give the government a little more money and a little more power, all their problems will be resolved. Well, if you're thinking today's news can get any more depressing, I assure you, you are wrong. According to the New York Post Saturday, quote, a Georgia couple has been charged with using their two adopted children to record child pornography, police said. Walton County Sheriff's Office raided a home in Loganville July 27th on reports that a man there was downloading child porn. After interviewing the suspect, who was not identified, police said they learned there was another suspect in the county who was producing homemade child sexual abuse material with at least one child who lived in the home, the Sheriff's Office said Thursday. Around 11.30 p.m. that same night, officers executed a search warrant in Oxford at the home of William Dale Zulick, 32, and Zachary Jacoby Zulick, 35. Walton County's Division of Family and Child Services joined deputies in responding to the home to help protect the two brothers who live there. During the search, deputies found evidence the pair, who were the children's adoptive fathers, were engaging in sexual abusive acts and videos documenting the abuse, the sheriff's office said. And I don't have to tell you, this of course is disgusting. These two men should be put in prison for the rest of their lives, never to see the light of day again. These men are vile. This also highlights the ineffectivity of the adoption system, by the way. Despite it being astronomically difficult to adopt a child these days and the amount of supposed care and deliberation that goes into selecting homes for children, these monsters, and many like them, slip through the cracks. This just goes to show that the adoption process and the agencies that govern it must be better funded and better trained to identify potential predators. Seriously, if this story doesn't cause a physical reaction of disgust in you, then you're not a human. The innocence of children in this country is under attack, and we must do everything in our power to preserve it. And let me also say we're on this, while we're on this topic, same-sex adoption should be illegal. It is not conducive to the health and well-being of a child to be thrust into a home where there is not a mother and a father. Surely an adoption agency wouldn't allow a single man with a live-in brother to adopt a child, so then why would a couple like this be able to adopt? Here's the thing. A normal heterosexual relationship works by performing biological processes. A man and a woman are capable of having a child. Once the child is born, and even before, each parent, the mother and the father, can begin to fulfill their roles in accordance to their biology, and the child will respond to this in a natural way. However, to make the case for why a homosexual relationship is comparable to a heterosexual one, you then have to talk about sex. Trying to explain a homosexual relationship to a child without mentioning sex, you can't do it. And you can't do it because a homosexual relationship is built on little more than the desires of the flesh. Even if the two involved love one another, I left this out as it applies to both homosexual and heterosexual relationships. So on the homosexual side, we have the desires of the flesh. On the heterosexual side, we have biology and uh, biological processes. 
A heterosexual relationship between a mother and a father can be explained by explaining that mom and dad serve different roles, and thus it takes one of each. As much as I'd like to take credit for this argument, because I, I think it's really solid, I have to give credit to Ben Shapiro for this great point, as I heard it from him. And I would like to emphasize the point that I do not believe all homosexual relationships with kids result in this kind of thing that we, that we read about in this article. Uh, I really mean to separate the two arguments into this uh, is what happened part and why the adoption system needs to improve uh, in another. Uh, separate argument for why same-sex adoption is unhealthy for kids generally. Before we get into our Bible verse of today's show, allow me to perhaps inspire a little hope in you for the future of the nation. This clip comes from a TikTok posted recently, so here's that. Feminism is a scam. A few years ago, I was an angry, blue-haired feminist. I once believed that male privilege was real and that I was a victim of the wage gap. Now that I understand the true motives of feminism, I know that this could not be further from the truth and that modern-day feminism is a war on true masculinity. Before women had the right to vote, most were stay-at-home wives, which meant they weren't working jobs and couldn't be taxed. Our overlords didn't like that. Rockefeller started funding feminist campaigns in media, and as a consequence of the movement, women started entering the workforce and leaving the home. Children would then be separated from their parents and sent to Rockefeller-funded schools to be indoctrinated by the state. All of this ultimately disrupting the family unit at its core. Feminism is defined as the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. But in the West, I must ask, what rights do men have that women don't? Modern feminists are convincing women that hookup culture, using hormonal birth control, and not shaving is liberation. That toxic masculinity is prevalent and the patriarchy must be dismantled through movies and media, we're taught that working for the man, climbing the corporate ladder, and paying tax is more empowering and valuable than raising the next generation. Women have lost touch with our natural loving instincts, and birth rates are plummeting. Men and women are not the same. And by protesting for equality of outcome rather than opportunity, feminists are demonizing and emasculating men. So I can't speak to the accuracy of the facts the young woman states in the video, but that's not what I want to comment on. What I want to talk about is the fact that there are young people who are waking up to the lies and anti-virtuous garbage peddled on the left. There is hope for this country and its youth, we just have to start engaging like the left has for years in the culture. I know that this was kind of a pretty short segment, but I thought it was important to mention, given the, the doom and gloom today's episode seemed to have. Alrighty guys, so moving into our biblical study, today we will be examining Ecclesiastes 9.9, which reads, quote, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward. So let's break down uh, this verse, shall we? So we know the Bible teaches men to find a wife for the purpose of marriage and raising children and yada yada yada, but what you may not have known is that the Bible commands us to find a wife for companionship and for our own enjoyment as well. Men are to, to treasure their wives and find relief in them. Men should be attentive to them and provide for them. This is one reason why I will never understand modern feminism and its disdain for biblical relationships. Modern feminism teaches us that women should not want to be mothers or wives, but should do things for themselves. It teaches that true happiness comes not from raising a family, but from climbing the corporate ladder, and this is where freedom will be found for women, and that men who disagree, disagree because they want to oppress women. However, I think it's pretty clear when a woman and man are married, they each benefit from their relationship, so long as it is a godly one. There are few things in life that have the ability to be as transformative and beneficial as a strong, godly marriage for both men and women. 
So I charge you with this. Men, find a woman uh, and find solace and purpose in her. Women, find a husband and find protection and support in him. That's all I've got for today, guys. I'll see you back here on the conservatory next Friday. Thanks. One more thing, guys. Make sure you are constantly learning. I know once you finish school, it's very easy to stagnate mentally, but you should reject this and continue to learn. Whether that's reading historical books or taking classes like jujitsu or shooting, or even things like cooking and sewing classes. Never stop learning. That's all I have for today, guys. Thanks. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the show. We're available on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts, so don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. If you like what we're doing here in the conservatory and want to support us, shoot me an email at the.conservatory.podcast at protonmail.com. Thanks, guys, and have a good day.